HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash Japan. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corin.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko Kadema, food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. I hope everyone who's listening to uh, the show is safe and well and in good spirits. And our studio is currently closed due to the outbreak of COVID-19 caused by coronavirus in New York City and all over the world. So I'm recording this episode remotely from my apartment in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And this show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program, my cool guests. And my guests today are Rich Shi and Jamie Yumaski, who just wrote a very interesting book on koji, the title of which is Koji Alchemy, Rediscovering the Magic of Mold-Based Fermentation. And it, I believe it released today. Is that correct? Yeah. Congratulations. I guess it depends where you buy it from. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm going to say the six. I was wondering. But yeah. So anyway, so koji is the national mold of Japan. And it is used to make almost all fermented products in Japanese cuisine, such as miso, soy sauce, and sake and shochu, you name it. And koji is also becoming a culinary keyword lately. And top chefs in the world, such as Werner Jeppi and Fiona Duya, have been actively using uh, koji in very innovative ways. So I keep hearing from chefs in New York that um, they're experimenting with it and making their own koji-based products also. So, and, and Jeremy joined me on episode 135 and discussed his mind-blowing and effective ways to use koji. So today we'll discuss what uh, is covered in the new book, Koji Alchemy, from what koji is, what it is so spe- why it is so special and powerful in producing great flavors, how to use it in both traditional and modern uh, preparations, and much, much more. But quickly, before we start, 
Trail Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And also, please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Richie and Jamie Yuhansky. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, this is exciting.、Um, I've been talking about Koji very、uh, excitedly always.、Um, in, I don't know how many months ago it started. But、uh, yeah, so it's amazing. Your book finally came out, and we're going to discuss everything about it. It's amazing.、Uh, good book. So, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So,、uh, so first of all,、uh, how are you doing in this crazy,、um, unrealistic world? Uh, reality <laughs> that you're living in. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm、uh, here,、um, you know, doing fairly well,、uh, still going into the office every now and then,、um, safely、um, socially distanced as much as possible, and just sort of trying to take it day by day and、um, looking at the positive side of things. And the,、uh, I think the amazing thing is just being able to、um, spend time with my family more so than I had before. Right. What about you, Jamie?、Uh, hanging in there. It's, it's、um, you know, just like everybody. This is、uh, it, crazy, right?、Uh, <laughs> just trying to adjust.、Uh, you know, we're, we're, our restaurant, we did have to close for、uh, about three and a half weeks,、uh, but we were able to reopen、uh, just about three weeks ago.、Um, you know, business is. Somewhere between good and bad,、um, but we're hanging in there.、Um, we're actually really excited because tomorrow, this, this coming Tuesday, we're actually able to bring back a couple of our, our full time employees. So,、uh, which is good that you know it makes things kind of feel more normal and gives us, gives us hope for the future. Right. Oh, that's a very big、uh, first step、uh, for recovery. Yes. Right. So,、uh, yeah, so let's talk about.、Um, Your background first.、Um, so, where are you from and、uh, what do you do?、Um, first, Rich. Hi.、Um, so, yeah, I live just north of Boston and I work as a mechanical engineer during the day and、uh, sort of a culinary adventurer、uh, in the rest of my waking hours.、Um, <laughs> and、uh, pretty much I, I'm really into fermentation and koji,、um, obviously, and、uh, I teach workshops. Um, every now and then, to people who are interested in the subject, been sharing ideas on food、um, for, for a while now, and really enjoy、um, that interaction in terms of people working together to learn more and gain knowledge about cultures and foods and、um, how we can you know, kind of move, move ahead and develop some interesting things. Mm. Yeah, I think、uh, I can guess you are an engineer because you're very analytical in your book. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we, we, have, we have a good combination of strengths that we're able to bring different perspectives together to、um, create a book that works for a, a large number of people.、Mm. Right. Okay. So, what about you, Jeremy? What's your background? Well, one, one thing really quick you know, Rich develops. Um, spy satellites. <laughs> What? <laughs> They don't、wow. develop spy satellites. That's, that's about all 
I know about Rick, what he does in the rest of his life. He told me if, if he wanted, if I wanted to know more about what his job really is, that he Wow. So we need another episode to discover what he does and how he connects uh, the satellite and the Koji. Well, he, he's such a fascinating man. Well, yeah, no It's question. not that exciting, really. So, so me, um, I, uh, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, in the Midwest. Um, ended up uh, spreading my wings for a little bit. Lived in New York City in the Hudson Valley. Um, I am a trained chef. I went to culinary school. Um, I have a hey, wonderful. You went to CIA, so the Harvard Culinary School, CIA. You're the graduate, and that's where I met my beautiful wife, Anne, who's she's now my business partner in, in my restaurant here in Cleveland. Um, you know, so after being in, in New York, which I love, I absolutely love New York. A huge part of my heart will always be there. Uh, we actually we came back to Cleveland, and uh, we have a delicatessen now, like a Jewish deli, uh, Eastern European deli, where we. Uh, you know, we make pastrami with koji and rye bread with koji, and, and mm. that's uh, that's where I am nowadays. Right. So we're going to get into what you do in a moment too. So, but how did you get into koji, and how did you become experts of the mold to the level of writing such a great book? So, uh, first, which uh, I got into koji just uh, through. Uh, a chef friend of mine who uh, understood that I had this technical background and kind of mindset to, to learn things. And he was working on a um, showcasing ferments from around the world for a brunch. And he asked me one day to, to research um, Koji. And I did so by just doing some internet research and, you know, picking up some papers and, understanding that it really wasn't that hard to do to get spores to grow. All you needed to do was um, build a very simple, simple incubator. And that's what I did. And that's when, and then once I started playing with it and understanding that I could apply it to just about anything with protein or starch to great, to create really delicious and interesting flavors, I just started to put it up against whatever um, starch or protein I was interested in, in testing and came out with some pretty um, pretty fun things and found out that it was really a really fast process in terms of some some particular proteins. Like if you apply it to dairy, you can get uh, complex aged cheese flavors in the order of a couple months. And then I just kept adventuring, sharing my ideas, and that's how I connected to Jeremy. Wow. Okay. So what about you, Jeremy? Yeah, um, I, uh, you know, working in restaurants, uh, the chef I was working with had asked me to make miso. Um, you know, they, they brought me this great book, the book of miso, and they said, hey, we want to we wanna incorporate some of these foods, and can, can you do this? Um, and I said, sure, and I, I really didn't know much about koji at that point. I knew uh, a little bit that, that there were these molds, these fungi used in some ferments in Asia. Um, but that was the extent. And, and at this time, too, I was pretty um, pretty involved with making fermented foods and cured meats and um, I, stuff that I taught people and other chefs how to do. And when I was asked to make this meat, so it just opened up a whole floodgate uh, for me. Uh, I got super 
interested in, in Kogi, especially too, I do a lot of work with wild mushrooms, uh, identifying them and teaching people how to use them and this sort of thing. So um, already having this background in mycology, uh, being introduced to a mold that I could work with in the kitchen, I, I just I just took off running. It was just absolutely fascinating to me. Mm, wow. So well, I don't know question that you have just common interest, but how did you guys meet and decided to work on a book on Kojit together? Yeah, um, so Rich and I um, both kind of independently of each other were um, sharing the work that we were doing on different social media platforms. Um, and, you know, eventually the two of us kind of linked up and I was really intrigued by his work and he was intrigued by mine. And, and we started this this great, I'm going to call it a romance. Uh, I feel <laughs> I- <laughs> It's, it's, Don't tell my the, wife. <laughs> trans, it's transcended friendship at this point. Um, you know, I love him. I love him like he's a brother. Um, so you know, we we developed this relationship um, and just started feeding off of each other and and spurring each other's creativity and and helping each other grow more with the mold as we learned about it. Um, and it eventually got to a point. Um, a mutual friend of ours, Cynthia Graber. Um, she has a great show called uh, Gastropod. Um, she had interviewed Rich for, I believe, the Boston Globe about some meat he was making. And he recommended that she see my work, which then she traveled to Cleveland to do. And she really hammered home how, after seeing both of our work and kind of tasting the foods we were making – she really hammered home to me personally how much that that Rich and I needed to be friends and we needed to find a way to work together. Mm, interesting. Because I think uh, you, both of you, have very objective and an analytical um, view to Koji. And me, being Japanese, it's always something associated with traditional food products. So it's really fascinating that two different minds got together and then just came up with something really interesting. So, so let's, yeah. So let's talk about the, the new book. Uh, again, the title is Koji Alchemy, Rediscovering the Magic of Mold-Based Fermentation. So what is the theme and what do you cover in the book? Rich, why don't you start? Uh, sure. I mean, I think for us, the core theme was to be able to show people how do you utilize Koji in, in all these amazing ways, but very basically and simply without, um, you know, having any sort of pre predisposition of it being difficult to do. As it is a mold, um, most people's experiences with mold aren't necessarily favorable. It's one of those things that people, if you talk about food with mold, they tend to just want to throw it away and get rid of it. Whereas this very specific mold, Aspergillus oryzae, you know, brings us beautiful things, makes things delicious. So we wanted to make it approachable. And we also wanted to make the book very practical in terms of understanding and basic ideas. So people could just, you know, understand a principle or a base recipe and make it their own. And I think the other thing that we tried to do that was important to us was tie everything together such that people could understand how to work with enzymes because that's sort of the primary purpose behind using Koji because 
it's the highest loaded enzyme product that one can produce very easily in a in just a simple cooking environment or just in your home, <clears throat> in opposed to you know anything else that has an enzyme um, in terms of you know large scale food production or the amount of enzymes. You really have to you know have it you know be a very specific process with lots of you know crazy equipment. So. Uh, it's got a lot of enzyme punch to be able to create amazing flavors. And we just wanted to make people <laughs> put something in front of people that no matter what level you could you were at in terms of cooking, you could just open the book and start working and, and understand what we were doing. Uh, Akiko, to kind of expound on that a little bit, we, you know, we wanted this book to be a cornerstone of creativity. So a lot mm-hmm. of the problems, that Rich and I observed with a we a we felt there wasn't an English language resource solely devoted to Koji, and that was a problem we wanted to solve. We you know whether the book was written by us or somebody else eventually, we felt there needed to be a resource out there. So we set out to do it. The other things that we wanted to do was in terms of cookbooks. A lot of cookbooks don't necessarily spur creativity. They give you wonderful insight into brilliant chefs and these fabulous culinary minds and their restaurants and what they're doing and how they work, but they don't necessarily teach you how to do that in your own restaurant or your own home. So in this book, we do have a few base recipes, but a lot of the time we spend explaining how this works so people, as Rich said, of any level can then take this information and be as creative and as adventurous and as inquisitive as they individually want to be, which, which allows Koji to be deeply personal for any individual. It allows for what you make with Koji in your home or your restaurant to be so, so unique compared to what I'm doing or Rich or anybody else. Um, so that was something that was super, super important to us. Um, in in making this book and, and writing about it. Right. The other part I, I was fascinated by this book is that, you know, the it's very collaborative and you have so many people, so many chefs from the fermentation community and show their own creativity. So it's really inspiring for, for whoever reads this. Maybe you can come up with something on your own that's like a natural motivation from the book, I think. Yeah, and you know, it was it was important for us too to have a variety of voices. So we have different chefs, we have scientists, we have Koji spore producers, we have we have uh, Huguchi-san and and from Japan in the book. We have a cheesemaker, we have a beer brewer, all these different people that use it in different ways. And we've we were very intentional too because we didn't want the experience that these people have to, uh, that that they wrote about to necessarily be the same as ours. Um, we wanted to present their story of how they work with it in their voice. So we don't take it and and necessarily reinforce how great Koji was or that um, you know that they use it all the time even versus special occasions. We we didn't want to change any of what they were saying. We wanted to keep it as straightforward as possible so that they could talk about what they're doing with it also. Right. 
That's important because I, I heard, so the Higuchi-san is uh, one of the very um, few, I think there are only five companies uh, who sell cold spores. And, you know, there's, there are only five because you don't need so many companies to sell the spores because once you buy it, it's going to grow and it's just a seed, right? It's not, uh, you know, something uh Patented, you can just keep growing, other than yeah. you know agricultural seeds. So yeah, what I heard Higginson told me one time that um, the industry of cold spores that's really suffering because there's no other way to go beyond traditional Japanese food products. And now, I think people, talented people like you guys, are expanding, pushing the envelope. So I'm very hopeful that this book and any other efforts, creative. Um, efforts are helping the industry and uh, it's it's really important so yeah I'm and, and excited that, about it. well thank you and and you know I'm Rich and I that was a huge goal of ours you know we discuss in this book uh, other types of fermentation let's say you make sourdough bread um, you can save a starter right this this culture of the microbes that help make that ferment and use it to keep making more, and you can keep growing more of it. And while you can do that to an extent with koji, it can actually be dangerous um, because the koji can mutate and it can become contaminated. Um, while the risk is fairly low for that, they, it can happen. So we took this approach of support the spore producers in Japan or even other parts of the world that make, you know, in the Philippines, they have their own version of this in China and Korea and so on and so forth, support all these individual um, people who are, they're protecting the biodiversity of Koji because there's many different types that do very specialized things. Um, they're reinvesting in its future and very important too. These are, for the most part, family-run businesses. These are small, independent um, businesses that are, in a lot of ways, the cornerstones of the communities they exist in. So they create these fabulous products. They keep money in their local communities. They keep strengthening the people around them. You know, it's much different than you know sending money to a large conglomerate. So with all of this, with protecting biodiversity, supporting small family businesses. We really wanted people to be able to to source koji in a in a way that that you know benefited everybody, right? Yeah, actually, so the uh, Koichi Higuchi uh, of Higuchi Matsunoke Shoten, he's in Osaka. He actually joined me on episode one sixty three, and he's seventh generation of the company. So yeah, fifty years almost, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, uh, for listeners who are not familiar with koji, so let's just talk about koji. What is koji? Go ahead, Rich. Sure. Okay. Um, so, traditionally, uh, koji, as the Japanese know it, is a um, mold inoculated rice or or, or grain. Um, you know, commonly, you know, it would be rice, barley, or soybeans, where you take a specific mold uh, called Aspergillus oryzae, and you basically grow it on a starch medium of the grains uh, that's prepared in a very specific way such that 
Um, the starch, uh, the gr individual grains are um, gelatinized, but they're not wet and mushy, uh, such that the, the mold filament, filamentous mold can uh, infiltrate and grow upon it. And then uh, basically you end up yielding um, enzymes, enzymes that'll break uh, starches down into sugars and proteins down into amino acids once you apply them to um, starches or proteins. So simply koji is just growing uh, a very specific mold on a rice that creates these enzymes to ultimately create all these awesome products like miso, shoyu, um, mirin, amazake, sake, um, shochu, as you, as you already mentioned. Right. Akiko, we can kind of look at historically why, so why would somebody use a mold for this, right? Because we all get worried about the black mold in our shower and we have to clean it or <laughs> the mold that grows on the food we forgot about in the back of the refrigerator, right? Like there's these molds that aren't good. So, so why would somebody use a mold for this? And uh, interestingly enough, if, if you look at, at rice itself and you were to try to make alcohol just using rice without growing the mold on the rice, you cannot do it. And the reason for that is rice does not contain these simple sugars that yeast then eats to make alcohol. And the koji mold breaks apart all the starch in the rice into these simple sugars. Mm -hmm. And in the case with soybeans too, soybeans when they're raw um, are not very good for us actually. We eat edamame and that sort of thing, um, but compared to other beans that we can eat raw or lightly cooked, the soybeans have to be treated in a way to free up all the nutrients inside them. And there's some cooking processes that do this, but the best way to do it is to actually mix the beans with the mold or grow the mold on the beans. And we end up with foods like miso, um, which if we compare the nutrients in miso to the nutrients in just a regular kind of maybe steamed soybean, the, the miso nutrients are three, four, five times um, more bioavailable, meaning our body can actually access them when we mm. eat them wow. versus being bound up in a way where our body would just pass it through without actually getting to use it. So this is kind of why, you know, going back thousands of years ago, when people didn't have access to the science and the technology and understanding we do now, why they chose to use this mold. They saw it, it, it happened in a natural environment, kind of like a freak accident. Somebody experimented with it. They found out that it could do these things for them. And it made them feel better when they ate these foods. So they established that it was healthier. It also allowed them to preserve the foods um, for long-term storage without the use of refrigeration. So, uh, you know, koji is, uh, we, we talk about these things because it is so, so important in Japan and China and the Koreas and all of Asia. One could make a good argument that those cultures wouldn't have developed into the great civilizations that they are now if it weren't for Koji. Mm, wow. So, well, this sounds like the Koji is just a magic. And I heard there are over <laughs> um, 100 enzymes in Koji. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's full of enzymes. And in the book, you have 
you introduce three main types of uh, enzymes. So maybe you can talk about them. Sure. Um, I'll start and I'll, I'll let Rich finish. Uh, you know, for those people that don't understand what an enzyme is, first off, they are types of proteins and they do very specialized things. So very simply, the enzyme responsible for breaking starch, like just plain rices, into the simple sugars that make it up, um, Koji produces that. The enzyme that breaks apart other types of proteins into the amino acids, into uh, amino acids are very tasty and flavorful and umami and delicious, and they're easier for our body to absorb and digest. Koji produces that one. Uh, it also produces uh, an enzyme that breaks down fat into very aromatic and pleasant smelling compounds. So those are the three main ones, these, these, um, the protease, the amylase and, and the lipase. So those are the three ones that we, that we mainly pay attention to in the book. Right. Well, also, um, I think in the book you describe there is a very unique and attractive smelling koji. So how do you describe it? I think it's coming out of that process of, um, you know, created by the enzymes, I think. Yeah, I think, um. Each koji, and there's several different types, are unique in the aromas they create. Um, for example, um, aspergillus soye, which is commonly used uh, in the soy sauce making process, and e even some types of miso, when that grows on beans, whether it's soybeans or white beans or black-eyed peas, um, I most noticed uh, aromas that are like tropical fruit. It makes the beans smell like mangoes or pineapples. Mm. I mean, it's really fascinating. Right. I um, get that often, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, aspergillus oryzae, which if we just grow it on rice, depending on the variant, the type of aspergillus oryzae, some of them smell like the most amazing flowers and potpourri you've ever smelled. Uh, others smell like a mix of like Granny Smith apple and champagne and a little bit of yeast and maybe some slight mushroom aroma. So it's really this wide palette um, of aromas that they produce. Uh, you can even, in some of the uh, the other species like uh, Aspergillus luciensis, which is a brown or a black koji, they actually produce organic acids. They create citric acid, which is very tart. Um, I can pick up on like a sour, not a bad sour smell, but kind of something like a lemon, you know, almost, uh, when it's growing, it's just, they're just incredible to think that mold, um, creates these beautiful, bright, uplifting aromas is just fantastic. Mm, right. That's the opposite of, uh, what we think of a mold. It's just so fragrant and, uh. Yeah, once you know it, you just want to have it in your um, fridge. Like it's just the, say like a miso, white miso to black miso. They have diversity, and they all have a whole range of the smells that you just described. So, so the smell is one um, the benefit. So, what else is uh, what kind of other benefits of using koji in food? I think one of the most interesting um, benefits is something that's been used in Japan for a long time is just 
the ability to use it as a marinade to quickly create amino acids um, by applying it to a piece of protein, whether it be fish or a steak or even um, just some just some beans that you've you've sautéed, um, that you can have these you know these um, uh, nuances of amino acids and just to accent the flavor such that the food tastes more like itself. And I think the other side of the coin in terms of usage of amazake to create uh, sweet flavors through a grain, plus all of these interesting aromatics that come along with um, various, whichever grain that you apply the, the koji to, um, by basically taking some koji, whether you've grown it on a specific grain or not, and then adding it to uh, another grain that you like to have. And one thing that uh, people are really excited about these days is oat milk. If you add koji to oats, cooked oats and a little bit of water, you get um, one of the most delicious oat milks I've ever had. Wow. And, um, and it's super great. And you can either add it to your morning porridge, you can strain it out and use it as a milk. Um, you can easily blend it and add a little bit of sugar to make a sorbet um, or even mount it into different breads or, or um, you know, just your pancakes or anything that you want to add to sugar wise that you've basically achieved enzymatically instead of buying some processed sugar. Um, it's, it's, it's really fun. And, um, and it's a cool process because uh, you're not only creating this very, um, this sweet, sweet product, but you also carry along a level of enzy enzymatics um, from the protease that creates a touch of umami that makes it, you know, just that little hint makes it more delicious than just eating um, a bowl of oatmeal with some sugar. Right. So this, uh, yeah, you mentioned umami and the sweetness, definitely. I think uh, one of the, uh, the enzymes, I think it's called uh, amylase. I think that sweetness, to me, uh, that's my favorite sweetness. It's more complex and uh, it's mild but very deep. And of course, umami, I think a lot of chefs use uh, cozy because of the umami, which is the fifth taste. And uh Fifth taste after salty, sweet, bitter, sour, and then I heard umami enhances all other four tastes. Not just umami itself is tasty. So, yeah, so koji has all of them. It's just one package. There's no reason not to use it. Um, so maybe you can give us an example of how to use koji. Um, like, well, let's see. Uh, first. A traditional way, like, can you maybe just go through quickly the process of making miso or soy sauce or sake or whatever you pick? Yeah. Um, I, and interestingly enough, making soy sauce and making uh, miso are pretty much the same process, except one, the, the shoyu, the soy sauce, has more water in it than the miso. Um you know, so first let's start with growing the koji. So you need the spores, which are kind of like the seeds. Um, so what you do is you cook off rice. Uh, traditionally, it is steamed very delicately. Uh, the rice is cooked so that none of it sticks together at all. It's almost like the Italians with their pasta, like al dente. Um, once the rice cools to about body temperature, you know, give or take 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you put the spores on. And then you hold the koji in a humid and warm environment, um, you know, between 70 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit 
uh, with higher humidity uh, for up to two days, and the mold will grow grow on on the rice. Um, the same could be said for if you're doing barley or beans or that sort of thing. You know, so from there, then you have your you have your koji, you have your 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 mold on your your uh, substrate uh, to make a miso. You could approach it many ways, but traditionally they would then take this molded rice, the koji rice, and mix it with salt and cook soybeans and mash everything up together to a paste, pack it into a, a crock or a vessel, and let it age. Uh, some traditional styles throughout Japan, they use after a matter of days. Others, they let sit for three even five years before they even go to use them. Uh, you know, in the case of making the shoyu, like I said, it's very similar to the the miso making process. Um, in miso, where you mix the salt and the koji and the beans together and mash it to a paste, if you were making a shoyu, you would add enough water into it so that it was like a loose soup. Mm. And then it would also sit for a set amount of time. Typically, most shoyu sits for a year. Um, they typically aren't used sooner than that, at least in the traditional sense. And some even go much, much longer, you know, multiple years. Um, so the, the great thing about them, too, is the actual time that you spend working on them is very little. The time to cook the rice, the time to actually cook the beans and then mix everything together, you're maybe talking about a few hours of hands-on active work. Mm. And then the rest of the time, you can sit back and relax and dream about how delicious it'll be when, when the set time <laughs> is for it to be eaten. Right. So that's the koji who does the work, and you just create an environment, and then, yeah, good luck. It, <laughs> in the we talk about how you should approach this as, as being a farmer. Um, you know, the farmer's job is to make sure that the field is right for the animals and for the plants. So they, they keep the wolves away from the sheep. They keep the weeds away from the plants. Um, they don't do much to the plant to actually get it to grow. They just make sure the environment is okay and safe. And that's your goal when you when you work with Koji. It's very much the same thing. Mm, right. All right. So we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about how to use Koji in a very innovative way. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. 
You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash Japan. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese ship knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American, and that is why they are located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese broadcast from Live from a Studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Toki Kuatema, and my guests today are Richie and Jeremy Yumanski, who just published a very interesting book on Koji, and title which is Koji Alchemy Rediscovering the Magic of Mold Based Fermentation. So let's talk about how you can use Koji in a very innovative way. So, um, Maybe, Jeremy, you can talk about your um, fungus-crusted meat or whatever you picked. <laughs> Which you've gotten to eat before. You ate some veal with it on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so some of the things that we address in the book are, um, you know, traditional things that you would find in some some Western cuisines, Western European cuisines, like uh, charcuterie making, the making of, you know, salted and dried cured meats. Uh, anything from like a prosciutto to a sopraceta salami, um, you know, using koji in those um, as opposed to some of the traditional molds that that they do use in those. Um, other things that, that, you know, we worked on when we developed and we addressed in the book are using koji in some fairly new and novel ways to create more flavorful meats. And one of them is by actually growing the koji on raw meat and then cooking it. And, and what we found out is that these meats eat in terms of their texture and their flavor, much like dry aged meat does. So you go to a good steakhouse and they've got the regular steak. Let's say it's $30 and then they have the same cut of meat, but it's been dry aged that cut of meat is $75. And the difference is in the aged meat, it's more flavorful, it's more tender. It's Overall, it's a better product. Um, not everybody likes dry aged meat. That's one thing to note. But generally speaking, chefs and people that enjoy enjoy eating meat consider aged meat to be, be better. It's more flavorful, it's more tender. So uh, we actually developed techniques where we use koji to do that in under 48 hours compared to a month to a month and a half uh, in, in tra- the traditional way of doing that. Um, so that's one thing that we're, you know, we've 
always been really excited about. We feel it's absolutely delicious. Um, you know, like you go, like I said, you've tried it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm you, the witness. <laughs> it, it, it's fascinating. We feel. Right. Um, yeah. It's amazing how quickly, you know, Koji can break things down and, you know, make it just delicious because of it's the direct application and more active enzymes in Koji. Right. Yeah. And, and that's part of why we named the book Koji Alchemy, because it's almost it's almost magical. You know, as much as we understand the science and we can quantify it and we can describe what's happening on this this level that we can't see, um, it's still seemingly magical. And that's what's so wonderful about it. I, th- I think Rich, too, can like Rich has developed some fantastic misos like his cookie dough miso and, and some of the aged cheeses that Rick started working early on are just and he can talk more about them. They're just fascinating. Right. I mean, I think um, more recently, one of the things that I have experimented with is just using different protein powders. Um, one protein powder that I found was, you know, fairly awesome was I just uh, found some hemp protein powder. Uh, and when I applied some shio koji in the order of the time that you wait for a shio koji to finish uh, sitting at room temperature in about a week, it tasted like seaweed and it was pretty amazing. So I found that, you know, just anything that has highly loaded protein can yield umami fairly quickly and you don't have to wait that long for it. I mean, it's in the same context of when you apply it to a piece of protein like a steak or, you know, um, a pork chop and things of that nature is that you can get enzymes fairly quickly with uh, the enzymatic action to create amino acids fairly quickly. And the other application in, in understanding that you can apply it to a starch and create, you know, a level of sweetness is that you can take you know, less than great, you know, fruit that you can obtain from the grocery store or something that, that's not that not quite ripe. You can slice it up and you can just add it to some amazake or even just press some uh, fresh koji against it and create a level of sweetness that, um, you know, really accents the, the flavor of the fruit plus um, makes it more enjoyable. I mean, we all do these things like, you know, when you have some you know, some strawberries and you put some cream with a, maybe a drizzle of honey over it. It's in that, in the, it's in that same category of making adjustments to make food uh, more tasty and more interesting. And Koji does that just by, you know, putting it up against um, some cut fruit and, and it's pretty awesome. Right. So, um, yeah, you mentioned a shokoji and amzake. So um, these are in the book and basically I mean, I tried shokoji. It's, um, well, you, well, Jeremy and Rich uh, get koji uh, in the form of spores, and you have mm-hmm. to, well, they have to grow it. You have to grow it, which is not easy, probably. And for safety, you know, you have to have a great, very clean environment, too. But what I did was I went to a Japanese grocery store. I can just buy it on mm-hmm. Amazon, too, and get right. some uh, already grown koji, right? And you can make a mazake and the shokoji easily? Yeah, you can use those ingredients just to follow our recipes. I mean, you, basically, you just add first, you know, a very simple shio koji. You just add equal parts koji to water. And uh, we recommend 5% salt on, on top of the entire amount. So you just measure them all by weight. 
so you can get an accurate number and just let it uh, sit on your counter for about a week and it's ready to use. I mean, if you want to make it go a little bit faster, you can blend all the ingredients. And if you're to make an amazake, you just follow the same steps. So we have a, you know, a basic amazake um, you can make is you just take one part koji, one part um, uh, cooked grain. It could be a rice. It could be anything that you want that's desirable to you. We talked about oat milk. Um, rye works really well. I mean, all of these different grains create different flavors and aromatics that we've talked about. Mm. And then you add two parts water to it and then, uh, you know, and, uh, and you let it sit on your counter for three to five days, depending how sweet and then how much, um, you know, lacto or acidic flavor you want from the fermentation. And then that's ready to go as well. So you can use these products fairly quickly and, and get them rolling. Uh, and then it also, if you can put it in a warmer environment, um, uh, you know, on the order of, you know, maybe, you know, putting it at, uh, you know, eight, you know, um, maybe in an incubator for a little bit, uh, just to warm up by like 20 degrees F, you can accelerate the process such that you can get it in a day or two. Right. Wow. So, well, because it's a, uh, koji is such an ancient um mold or ingredient then there shouldn't be any complicity um in using it so once you know right. what it is yeah probably it's very easy to utilize yeah it. even going to like a japanese market or looking on on the internet you can find there are companies out of japan most definitely that make shio koji and amazaki already sealed up in a package ready to go so if, if you're someone who's interested in getting into koji, but you don't necessarily want to grow the mold at home or aren't sure that you want to invest in, in you know creating it and using it in some of the more complex ways, you can buy, like I said, the pre-made shio koji in a little, you know, I think it's an eight ounce package. I've seen them. And you can use that in your food. You can marinate a piece of meat in it before you cook it. You could drizzle that over some vegetables uh, as you're sauteing them in a pan. Um, you know, you can you can experience it that way, and then make you know decisions of oh, I'd like to make this at home. Right, and it, it took yeah. me. I used the, the prepackaged one, and it took me 15 minutes to before I you know let them grow and i left it like five days and mm-hmm. yeah i just used the marinade and I by itself you can eat it it's so tasty it so is. yeah and uh, in your book also um there's so many interesting ingredients or oh, the uh, recipes are such as i was fascinated by the amazake white bread and uh, oh. also amazake cultured cream and those those things and, and you you know which you mentioned uh, oat milk i really have to try that so this is amazing. Well, thank you. Thank yeah, you very much. We're glad that you're excited about it. <laughs> so uh, but why do you think uh, chefs all over the world are suddenly discovering koji? Well, um, I, I think that, that chefs have been aware of koji for a long time, just as a result of the fine dining scene and you know, a multi- and, and chefs being interested in what's going on in Japan and, and, and in Asia in general, that they've discovered how quickly something can be converted into something delicious, especially because it's part of our, you know, pretty much part of everyone's culinary 
palate that most people have tried soy sauce. And if you think about the, the ingredients of soy, soy sauce, it is simply rice, soybeans, wheat, toasted wheat, and salt and water. And to be able to create something so delicious just by adding a particular mold is amazing. And people understand that from this, understand uh, that it's very simple to do um, to be able to create these amazing flavors. Uh, and artisans have been doing it for years and being able to leverage these things just with very, um, very few tools, um, you can get to this point of being able to create something delicious um, with a base product that makes it taste more like itself and really brilliant without using all that much work. I mean, if you think about having to marinate something to accentuate the base flavor of itself, um, you would have to use an extraordinary amount of uh, ingredients and skill to be able to achieve that. Whereas with Koji, you just put it on and leave it for a few hours. And right. I think that's part of the desire, you know, that's part of the, the magic of it is that it's so easy to do with very little, uh, a relatively amount of little effort. Mm. And I believe because it's a fermented um, products and with good enzymes, probably it's good for your health too. We create your better uh, microbiome and uh, that's my guess but uh, yeah so this is amazing so where can we buy your book um, the title is again uh, the Koji Alchemy so we cannot uh, go to bookstores but I'm sure it's available everywhere well you'd be you'd be surprised so uh, you can uh, go directly to our publisher which is Chelsea Green Publishing um, they are actually shipping it faster than Amazon is right now with everything going on with COVID. Mm. Um, we, we've been hearing from some people that some of the Amazon orders or some shipping delays based on everything that's going on, but um, the people that have been buying it directly from the publisher have been getting the book within just a couple of days, just standard shipping. Um, the other thing to, to keep in mind too, at, at least here in Cleveland in Ohio, um, the local bookstores, even though they're not open to the public, um, they are still able to ship a book. So, uh, visual voice books here in, in Cleveland, Ohio, a lot of, uh, people locally have contacted them via email or phone and been able to order the book from them. And, you know, right now, something like that is so important supporting your local bookseller, because they can still get a book out to you in the mail, even though you can't go into the store and buy it right now. So being able to, to help them out and, you know, them be able to make some money and keep their shops open, hopefully with everything that's going on, uh, is something great to do. So we're really encouraging people to look at their favorite local bookstore, give them a call. Um, most of them I'm, I'm willing to bet are going to be more than happy to order the book for you and get it shipped to your house safely. Great. And and for me in the Boston area, you can order it from Porter Square Books. Mm. All right. Well, that's an unexpected uh, promotion of local small businesses. So I love that. Um, so listeners, that the book is again Coach Alchemy: Rediscovering the Magic of Mold-Based Fermentation from Chelsea Green Publishing. So where can we find you you guys updates online? 
Um, we, we typically post um, what we're doing um, just about every day on, on our personal um, handles on uh, on Instagram. Uh, mine is our cook quest and Jeremy is TM Gastronaut. Great. All right. So I think uh, we need to have another episode to discover more about Koji. So hopefully you can come back and next time in the studio. <laughs> Yeah, I have yeah. a great idea. So when 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 uh, when we're able to come out, Rich and I will come to New York. We'll bring a whole bunch of Koji foods for us, and we'll do a show. We'll do a Koji tasting show. Mm, perfect. I can't wait. And, and and we'd love to have you bring your Koji mix. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have to work on that, but I have your book, so I'm very and hopeful. They, and they ha- and they have to be non traditional. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sporting creativity. Well, I'll get that from the book. All no right. pressure. Well, I will work on it. So, uh, Rich, Jeremy, thank you for joining us today and uh, be safe. Yeah, you as thank well. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradionetwork.org or akikwatayama.com. Japan Needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageweirdnetwork.org and iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. Japan Needs is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a non profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening.